This is a real blessing, brothers and sisters. To be out here in the wilderness like this. You know, Jesus himself, every time he communed with his father, as much as possible, he would find places within the wilderness that he can talk to him. And you all have this opportunity. I don't know how many of you might live or reside in the city. But when you're in an environment like this, you want to take advantage of it and get that special communion with God. I remember I was reading volume two and volume six of the Testimonies to the Church. And both of them talk about the importance of keeping the Sabbath and how to do it. And one of the things it says is that we should not congregate for several periods of hours inside of buildings on the Sabbath day. One of the great objectives is that we get a chance to be out in nature where we can communicate with God. And we have an awesome opportunity to do that today. So I want to make sure that as important as it is for us to have the meetings where we're going to go through the word of God, I'm going to encourage you, make sure you get that time where you get to commune with Christ in a very special way while you're in this beautiful environment where heaven speaks clearest to us. Amen? Amen. Now, it was 18 years ago that I had the privilege of becoming a baptized member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And what was interesting is that when I remember being in that area where we were outside in the tent, and I remember that there were so many people who got baptized with me. There were literally over 30, 40 individuals who got baptized on that same day. But what was interesting is that quite honestly, and I'm being honest with you, I'm being real straight with you. 18 years later, not one of those people are accounted for. Somewhere along the lines, they left. Either they're still holding on to the name SDA, but they're not living the lifestyle. Or they altogether turned their back on the name as well as the lifestyle. And what we have to understand is that last night when you made the decision that you made, when we realized that our hearts were broken and we saw that the truth of the matter is, is that we are wretched. We are miserable. We are poor, blind and naked. I showed you from inspiration that Jesus himself said, we are not ready for what's getting ready to come. We're not ready. And therefore, we humbled ourselves before God and we said, Father in heaven, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Just like that publican. And as we came to Christ and gave ourselves to him, he took our sinfulness and he gave us his what? His righteousness. And now the responsibility that you and I have is that we are to walk in that experience of Christ's righteousness day by day, moment by moment throughout the day for as long as we live. Now, because of this fact, brothers and sisters, you have to understand that the enemy of souls is enraged. If ever there was a time that Satan truly has now been filled with wrath, it is because of the fact that we see clearer than we've ever seen before. Our abilities are not going to get us ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. It's not going to get us ready for the coming crisis that comes before Christ. And as a result of that, Satan is enraged because you realize that and now you are trusting completely in Jesus to be your sufficiency. You see, as long as you were dilly-dallying, as long as you was trying to do the sum of me, sum of Christ kind of thing, Satan stands back. Because as far as he's concerned, he says, I already got you. But once you begin to recognize Jesus without you, I can do nothing. Once we get to that state, now, like never before, Revelation 12, 17 comes to pass and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war 
with the remnant of her seed. Because of the fact that we are in this warfare, we have to pray like we've never prayed before. We're going to have to study like we've never studied before. And we're going to have to live like we've never lived before. And as a result of that fact, we must understand what is it? Because I believe it's not just me. Quite honestly, you know, too, that there were people who came into the movement when you came in that today you're wondering where they are. Is that right? I'm not by myself in this experience. I wish I was. You see, there are three forms of attack that Satan is behind that he's using against the remnant people to unfit us for the coming crisis and the coming of Jesus Christ. And so it is that throughout this day and tomorrow, we're going to hit the hardest one of all. But brothers and sisters, throughout this day, we are going to investigate these three things. And the reason why is because the only way you and I are going to be persuaded that this same one who saved me is the one who can keep me. The only way that we're going to be unmoved is we need to understand how can I stand as Paul stood. I've learned as a being a father of four. God has taught me that any gospel that is not practical, brothers and sisters, it's a worthless gospel. The days of becoming of, of going from being an ignorant sinner to an intelligent sinner, that's foolishness. God's desire is not to take you from being an ignorant sinner to just simply make you an intelligent sinner. So often people want to study Bible prophecy. They want to understand trumpets. They want to understand all these different things. But at the end of the day, sin still has dominion over their lives. Christ says, listen, if you and I study the Bible simply so that, so that we can go from ignorant sinner to intelligent sinner, we're still going to end up in the same lake of fire. <laughs> what God wants to do is take us from being ignorant sinners to becoming intelligent saints. And therefore, if we're going to be intelligent saints of God, brothers and sisters, we're going to have to study, we're going to have to pray, and we're going to have to live like we've never done before. And therefore, Christ must be our all support and sufficiency throughout this process. Amen. We all can go higher. I don't care how much you've learned, how much you may know. Praise the Lord for it. But brothers and sisters, stay humble in the sight of God. Recognize your gift. Recognize the abilities and the things that God has done for you and in you. And he will do through you. But by the grace of God, please stay humble in the midst of your walk with Jesus. Don't ever get to a point that you begin to think I have arrived. For Job made it clear, once I call myself perfect, I just proved myself perverse. And so as we prepare to go into this discussion this morning, persecution without. You see, there are three forms of persecution that the devil's going to bring to every single child of God who names the name of the remnant. It is going to be a persecution without, a persecution within, and then a persecution deep within. And you will understand that by the conclusion of this weekend. And this morning, our first emphasis, persecution without. And so as we prepare to go ahead and hear the voice of Jesus speak to us, I'm going to invite as much as you can that you may bow your heads with me, close your eyes, and let us hear Christ speak to our hearts. Amen? Let us pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful, Lord, for this wonderful environment that you have sought to bring truth to our minds. And Father, I know that the truths that shall be spoken, it'll be simply an echo of that which you have allowed your people to learn time and time again. But Father, there are many things that we have heard that sometimes we forget.
And as a result of that, we open ourselves up to the assaults of the enemy. And Lord, just in my experience, as I see that so many came in when I came in, but there are so many today who no longer walk with thee. Father, our desire is that we will not simply recall the times when we started the race, but by the grace of God, we will be able to rejoice in the celestial joys of heaven because we will talk about not simply how we started, but how we were persuaded to finish the race. And I pray, dear God, that you will pour out your spirit in a marked manner throughout this place. And I pray, Heavenly Father, help us to behold Jesus, for we trust that by beholding him, we all shall become changed. This is our prayer and our thanksgiving that we give and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles. We're going to go to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And I want you to see something here. And this is a point, brothers and sisters, that we want to make sure we understand. Because so often you will find that it is true that there are going to be many assaults that the enemy will make against us. But at the same time, we can know how to stand, though the heavens may fall. You know the greatest want of the world is the want of men. Is that right? Men who are as true to duty as needed to the pole. Men who will stand for the right, though the heavens may fall. Is that right? That's what God wants to establish in us. And ladies, I want to let you know that God is not a respecter of persons. He might say men in inspiration, but he means mankind, all of us. God wants to have all of us to know how to stand. Now, if we're going to know how to do this, we need to understand this principle. Because there's a way that you can study the Bible where you can miss a point, but then there's a way you can study the scriptures where you get the point. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and if you're there, let me know by saying amen. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9, and I want us to read this together. It says, the thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is what? No new thing under the sun. The Bible makes it clear that history has a tendency to repeat itself. And therefore, sometimes when we get to a point where we're saying, Lord, OK, we're getting ready to go throughout this journey where we're going to walk in thy righteousness rather than in my own righteousness. And we understand, OK, because I'm going to do this, I understand that like never before this same dragon, Satan, he is going to be wroth with me, my household. And he's going to do everything he can to try to make war with me that I am not persuaded and that I will fail as others have in the past. So therefore, the question is, Father, how can I make sure that I can stand and remain persuaded that you are able to keep me? God says, well, the first thing I want you to understand, dear child, is that history has a tendency to repeat itself. So therefore, if I really want to know how do I stand, all I got to do is just look back through the inspired pages of history to see how did God's righteous people stand back in the days when individuals were challenging them. And here it is that the Bible gives us one of the major examples throughout Scripture of a very righteous man that I want to point your attention to. Go to the book of Matthew 24. In Matthew chapter 24, we get an idea of a picture of one whom the Bible declared as a righteous man. And he says this about him in Matthew, the 24th chapter. When you get there, let me know by saying amen. In Matthew 24, you will find that Jesus was referring to none other than a man by the name of Noah. And in Matthew 24 and verse 37, let's notice what the Bible says. It says, but as the days of what? 
As the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came, and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now there's two points I want to make, and the reason I'm making this point is because one of these points, we're not going to give this emphasis over this weekend. It's not for this weekend. But we have information that can give you more depth on it. Always remember... When the Bible talks about as it was in the days of Noah, did you notice that Jesus started to list out the sinners? He started to list out. They were marrying, giving in marriage and so on. Now, we know that there's nothing wrong with being married. Amen. 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 You got that right. (laughs) Nothing wrong with being married. But at the same time, there's something wrong when you're married and you do it in a manner where you forget the one who made marriage. So that was the real issue in Noah's day. It wasn't the fact that people were joining together in holy communion or holy matrimony. It was the fact that they did it, ignoring the very author of the one who made this holy institution. Now, as much as the Bible points out the sinful activity, if there are going to be people in the last days that are going to reflect the characteristics of the people in Noah's day who were doing wickedness, does it not make sense that there would obviously be people in the last days who are living a righteous kind of lifestyle just like Noah? So therefore, when the Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man, that's a twofold point. While there'll be many wicked who will be living like the wicked in Noah's day, there are going to be many righteous who are going to be righteous just like Noah. Now, brothers and sisters, in understanding that, we have to understand two things. And like I said, the second point is not necessarily our focus for this weekend. Noah had a message. Is that right? Noah had a message. He told everybody, listen, a flood is coming. He made it clear. A flood is coming. You need to prepare yourselves and get ready to get on the ark. But brothers and sisters, let me ask you a question. If all Noah did was make the people aware that a flood was coming. But if Noah never built an ark. When the flood came, what do you think would have happened to Noah? He'd have died right there in the ark. You know, that's the reason why inspiration tells us the story in Great Controversy, page 30, where it talks about that man. That man who was going around and he was saying, oh, woe to Jerusalem, woe to Jerusalem. And he began to talk about the destruction that was coming to Jerusalem because he understood prophecy. But the problem was, is that while he understood prophecy, at the same time, the inspiration says that though he understood prophecy, it says when the siege came to Jerusalem, he died in the same prophecy that he understood. The following sentence says not One Christian died in the siege. What does that tell us about that man? He understood prophecy, but he was not a Christian. God does not want to take people from going from ignorant sinners to intelligent sinners. He died in the very same siege that he foretold. Brothers and sisters, you and I must understand that as beautiful as it is to give our Noah's message today, which is none other than the blessed, beautiful three angels messages. Even though that is our message, you must understand there is still an ark that you are responsible to build. The same way Noah had a message, but he built an ark is the same way you and I, we must have a message and we must have our ark that reflects that message. And you know what's so sad? Most Seventh Day Adventists do not know what constitutes the modern day ark. That's a point of study, brothers and sisters. You must make sure that you understand. 
So here it is that as we look at Noah and we understand that in Noah's day, it was a type of what God's people were going to go through in the last days. I want to draw your attention to something about Noah, because we're talking about persecution that comes to us in various forms, all designed to steal away the experience that you and I have had with Jesus. We must make sure that we are persuaded that we cannot be moved. Amen. So watch this now. Let's go to the book of Genesis chapter six in Genesis chapter six. Now, let's take a look at something. We're just dealing with some fundamental truth right here. And then we're going to go ahead and bring out some more points as we go further. In Genesis chapter six, I want you to see how the Bible begins to break this down and to help us understand, because the Bible is clear. As it was in Noah's day, so shall it be upon you and I as it relates to the second coming of Christ. Now, in looking at this, in Genesis chapter 6, it shows us something. We're going to start from verse 1 and take it to verse 4. Here's something that I want you to pay attention to because we're trying to understand how is it that the enemy is going to cause us to turn away from Jesus. And here it is that the Bible gives us one clue right here. This is one of the methods of why there are many who were with us when we were baptized, but over a period of time, they're no longer with us today. It says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass... When men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wise of all which they chose. And the Lord said, my servant shall not always strive with man for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. Now read verse four with me. Look at this now. In verse four, it says there were what? Giants in the earth in those days and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them, the same became what kind of people? Mighty. Mighty men, which were of old men of renown. So this was a description of certain individuals. Now, was this a, was this a description of the wicked or the righteous? This was a description of the wicked. Now, here it is that I want you to see a point that comes out of Patriarchs and Prophets, page 90. Consider this. It says there were many giants, men of great stature and strength. Renowned for wisdom, skillful in devising the most cunning and wonderful works, but their guilt in giving loose rein to iniquity was in proportion to their skill and mental ability. So therefore, what happened was they had all this skill and ability. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, you're talking about people who could live up to 900 years old. Now, can you imagine if Saddam Hussein with all the wickedness that he did, if he could live up to 900? Can you imagine the kind of wickedness that man would do? Here it is that they say it says that these individuals, while they had all this skill and all this ability, it says so in their strength and skill and ability. So was their practice of iniquity. Now, watch this in describing these these individuals further. It says God bestowed upon these antediluvians many and rich gifts, but they used his bounties to glorify themselves. This was one of the issues. It says and turn them into a curse by fixing their affections upon the gifts instead of the giver. And the reason why I'm saying this is because as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the son of man. So in our day, we're going to see individuals who are going to reflect this very same type of character that we're reading about right now. Now, listen to this. It says they sought only to gratify the desires of their own proud hearts. Now, the reason why you want to look at that is because you want to ask yourself first and foremost, Lord, is that my life? Am I the kind of individual that the only thing that's on my mind is how I can gratify myself, make myself feel good, make myself feel more than I should? 
Now watch this. It says, and, re- and they sought only to gratify the desires of their own proud hearts and reveled in scenes of pleasure and wickedness. Not desiring to retain God in their knowledge, they soon came to deny his existence. So as a result of the fact that even though God gave them these wonderful gifts, remember, the sun and the rain shines on the righteous and the wicked. Is that right? So when God gave man bone, muscle, marrow and capacity to think, God gave those gifts, but they perverted it. And as a result of using these things, they use it not to glorify God, but they use it to glorify themselves. Follow with me now. So here it is that this constituted the mindset of those who are living in Noah's day. Now, let's go on a little further. It says not desiring to retain God in their knowledge. They soon came to deny his existence. They adorned. They adored nature in place of the God of nature. It says they glorified human genius, worshiped the works of their own hands and taught their children to bow down to graven images. This is what they did in Noah's day. And these were individuals who did not acknowledge God anymore. Remember, they started to know so much and they started to figure out so much that they got to a point that they said, why in the world do I even need Jesus anymore? They said, I'm God. And therefore, they started to lift themselves up as if they were God. And then they taught their children how to do the same thing. What a perversion. Now, the reason why this becomes important is because this was the same situation in Lot's day. This was the same situation in Daniel's day. This was the same situation in Christ's day. This was the same situation in Martin Luther's day. This was the same situation in Ellen White's day. And brothers and sisters, the Bible declares it's the same situation even in our day. The world, we are surrounded by individuals who have gotten to a point in their experience that they do not want God anymore. They don't want to hear anything about Jesus. This is why, as beautiful as it is to hear that testimony about going door to door, As wonderful as that is, that's one of the reasons why there are some today who will slam the door in your face. They will not have anything to do with the books that you and I might give, because as far as they're concerned, they're saying, why are you trying to give me something that I already am? You're trying to tell me about God and you don't understand I am God, because as far as they're concerned, they have now decided what takes place in their life and what shall be their fate. This is the mindset of what's taking place today. And this is why we need far more soldiers that are willing to go door to door and dare to fight up against the powers of hell and say, listen, this is the truth as it is in Jesus. And the truth will make you free. This is such a time that we need to do this. But keep in mind now, watch this now. Watch this. As as true as it is, go to the book of Second Peter, chapter three. You see, in second Peter, chapter three, Peter. Now he begins to bring this point out even more so. And it applies very much to yours and my day today. The Bible says in second Peter, chapter three, when you get there, let me know by saying amen. In second Peter, chapter three, notice what the Bible says. It says in second Peter three, we're going to start at verse three and we're going to read it to verse seven. Second Peter, chapter three, verses three to seven. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days, what? scoffers and it says walking after their own lust and saying where is the promise of his coming for since the fathers fell asleep all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation you ever heard somebody talk like that you ever hear people who say things like listen man you've been telling me about Jesus is coming since I was 12 and now I'm 24 And they're saying, what's up with that? You're trying to tell me Jesus is coming and the end is almost near and all of these other things. But at the same time, I can remember hearing that as a child and now I'm a full blown adult. And they begin to scoff. They begin to say, you don't even know what you're talking about. 
and they begin to try to shake your foundation. Brothers and sisters, please understand this, because what I discovered, I don't know if you discovered it. What I discovered is that many of the individuals, you see, they're not in the church with me anymore. But brothers and sisters, doesn't mean that I don't still hear from them. I discovered that these same individuals who were baptized with me, what happened was some of them got a chance to go to public school. Some of them got a chance to get a great career or even a great business, and they started to make tons and tons of money. And they started to do so well that after a while, they took the gifts that was given to them of God and they began to forget even God's very existence. And therefore, they declared by their actions, I now am God. And they turned their backs on the Lord. Scoffers, where's the promise of his coming? Now, listen to what it says next. It says in verse four and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this, they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perish. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The Bible makes it clear that in the last days we're going to face individuals that are called scoffers. One of the roles or the functions of the scoffers is that their whole mission is to shake your foundation. To get you and I to turn our backs on Jesus, to get us to a point that we begin to say, you know what, maybe I don't need to take these messages so seriously after all. Maybe this whole present truth thing is not as deep as I thought. And they can begin to question and to wonder. And it's the work of the scoffers that they do this. Now, I'm going to show you a secret. Go to the book of Second Corinthians, chapter two. I'm going to show you something. This needs to be part of your study going forward. In 2 Corinthians, the second chapter, I want you to see this now because God wants you to know this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I want you to see something. You and I need to understand a very important principle as we understand that the dragon is wroth and he's seeking to make war with the people of God. Now, here it is in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I want you to see what the Bible says in verse 11. In 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, read it with me now. Look at what Paul says. Paul says, lest Satan should do what? Get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Question. Paul just said, lest Satan gets what? An advantage over us. And then he goes on to say, for we are not what? So I'm going to ask you a question. How can Satan get an advantage of it, over you? If you're ignorant of his devices. How many of us are aware of his devices? You see, there are many of us today, brothers and sisters, that we don't understand how he works. We don't understand his methodology. Satan is very systematic. Did you know that? Satan believes in order. He just has a foul motive at the end of the day of it. And so it is that he doesn't just come to us and just say, ha, here I am. He knows better than that. <laughs> he might get one or two here or there, but he's not going to get cognizant Seventh-day Adventist that way. So therefore, he has to come subtle. He has to come smooth. He has to come very systematic and very orderly. In fact, I want you to notice this great controversy. You might want to write this down. Great controversy. 516. Powerful quote. Listen to this. You know, often when we read Steps to Christ, how many of you have ever read Steps to Christ? And you remember where we were told that even the weakest sinner on his knees causes the whole host of hell to tremble. How many of us remember? Do you remember reading that? OK, we remember that. Right. Did you want to know? Listen, if God shows me there's another way to make the devil tremble, you know, I hate him so much. I want him to tremble double time. Now, watch this. It is not simply the weakest sinner on his knees. But listen to this. None are in greater danger from the influence of evil spirits 
than those who notwithstanding the direct and ample testimony of the scriptures deny the existence and agency of the devil and his angels. When an individual begins to say, oh, the devil doesn't exist, when they do that, they are in the greatest of danger. Why? Listen to what it says. So long as we are ignorant of their wiles, they have almost inconceivable advantage. Many give heed to their suggestions while they suppose themselves to be following the dictates of their own wisdom. Do you know there are people today, even in the church, who make certain decisions on what they're going to do with their lives and they think they thought of it when really it was Satan? And the reason why is because they did not understand Matthew 4, 4, where Jesus says man shall not live by bread alone, but by how many words? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Literally, your lifestyle is to be governed by the word of God. Now watch this. It goes on to say there is nothing. There is what? There is nothing that the great deceiver fears so much. As that we shall become acquainted with his devices. Did you hear that? There is nothing that Satan fears so much as that we become acquainted with his devices. When we begin to understand how he works, when we begin to understand his system and his order, again, this is not studying so that we can glorify him, but we're studying so that we can know how to fight the good fight of faith intelligently. Did you know Jesus believed in this? Go to Luke 14. I've learned that the spirit of prophecy is none other than a magnifying glass to the words of Jesus. The spirit of, you know, does a magnifying glass put something that's not there there? No. Does a magnifying glass take something that was there and then take it away? A magnifying glass simply makes clear that which was already there. So therefore, notice what Jesus said in Luke, the 14th chapter. In Luke, chapter 14, Jesus was going down the list to decide or tell individuals how they can be a true disciple of Christ. It says in Luke, the 14th chapter, notice what the Bible says. If you're there, say amen. Amen. In Luke 14, as Jesus is going down this list, notice what he says in verse 31. In Luke 14, verse 31, Jesus reasoning with the mind of men. I'm so glad that God is a reasoning God. He says, or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down what? First and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with what? 20,000. Even Jesus understood if you're going to go to war against an enemy, you ought to know how to intelligently fight against him. You need to know how he's set up so that you can make sure that you have enough of an arsenal to defeat what he has. Now, if Christ understood that and if Jesus is that practical, should we not be? So therefore, when the Bible says that Paul was not ignorant of his devices, therefore Satan couldn't get an advantage over him. You and I also, we must not be ignorant of his devices. So therefore, he does not get an advantage over us. And brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you the truth. One of the reasons why there's so many people today that was baptized with us, but today they're no longer with us, is because could it be that they were not aware of his devices and they got caught in the snare? You see, persecution comes from the enemy, but he comes in various forms. And this hour, we're dealing with persecution without. In fact, notice what the Bible says. Let's go to the book of Genesis chapter 7. In Genesis, the seventh chapter, notice what the Bible says. Genesis, the seventh chapter. When you get there, let me know by saying amen. You see, what happened is that the enemy has a way of dealing with us. Now, brothers and sisters, you know, there are many of us today that's like Peter. 
you know, we'll say, you know what, I'll never turn my back on the truth. That's the same thing many of our friends said who got baptized with us. You know that? There are many individuals who are saying, oh, Lord, I'll go with you all the way down. I'll make it happen. I'll never turn my back on you. But at the same time, just when a little persecution comes, all of a sudden we begin to do what? Deny the very one whom we profess to love. And here it is that I want you to see something in Genesis 7. What was one of the methods that Satan used? In Genesis, the seventh chapter, we find one. In Genesis chapter 7, notice what the Bible says. We're going to look at verses 1, 5, and 10. It says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. So God called Noah and his family into the ark. Amen? Verse 5. It says, And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. So therefore, God said, Noah, take you and your family in the ark. And did Noah do it? Yes, he did. Now, notice what the Bible says in verse 10. Key. It says, and it came to pass after what? Seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. Now, therefore, I want you to consider this. God is telling Noah, first of all, Noah had a strange message as it was. What was Noah's message that made it so strange? He said it's going to rain. Did it ever rain before? No, it did not. There was only the dew that covered the earth. So he was saying something that to the natural observer was something that was impossible. And then here it is that as he said that, God says, all right, build the ark. And Noah faithfully did everything God told him to do. But then Noah finally gets to a point where he gets in the ark. And how many days passed? Seven days. Now, brothers and sisters, be honest with me. If you went inside that ark and God said, listen, get inside the ark. It's going to get ready to rain. And then you go inside the ark and then all of a sudden you're inside the ark and you're just waiting. And it's as bright and sunny as it is right now. Day one, day two, day three. How many of you think your, your faith would have been a little tested? So it was with Noah. In fact, inspiration speaks on it. Listen to what it says. It says in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 98, it says for seven days after Noah and his family entered the ark, there appeared no sign of the coming storm. It says during this period, their faith was tested. Now, if Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be. Does that not tell us then that there will be things of prophetic order that God has told us to proclaim to the world? But it might be a great period or season of time that will pass by before we see the prophecy fulfilled. And during that great tarrying time or that great passing by of time, it will be a test for us as it was a test for Noah. And listen to what it says. It says for seven days after Noah and his family entered the ark, there appeared no sign of the coming storm. It says during this period, their faith was tested. Then it goes on to say it was a time of triumph. It was a time of what? It was a time of triumph to the world without persecution, without it was a time of triumph to the worldlings. And listen to what happened. It says the apparent delay confirmed them in the belief that Noah's message was a delusion and that the flood would never come. You see, brothers and sisters, you have a very unique message your message is different. If you're faithful to the message God has given to us, our message is incredibly unique. Our message is not simply a message of Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. You know that, right? We have a little bit more to say than just that, right? So therefore, when we think about the message that God has given to us, especially the emphasis of the third angel, which constitutes the first and the second, 
We are actually warning the world of things that it appears to be impossible that it would ever take place. In the third angel's message, we are called to warn individuals that a time is going to come where the Constitution is going to crumble. That governments and all sorts of evangelical groups and so on are going to collaborate and come together for the purpose of establishing a national Sunday law where individuals are going to be forced to observe Sunday as the Lord's Sabbath. And to the world, that seems like that is ridiculous. That would never take place. So therefore, one of the areas of attack that the devil will use to try to discourage you and I to keep us from being persuaded by the one who is able to keep us is that he will attack the very prophetic utterings in which we profess to believe. The same way that he used those men to deride Noah when he was inside of that ark. And they began to say, look at you, you're inside of an ark and here it is. There's not a drop of rain falling. You are a fanatic. While they're making those statements, do you know, brothers and sisters, that today there are many Seventh-day Adventists who are no longer Seventh-day Adventists because people kept saying, you said the United States of America was going to be a superpower, but it never happened. But then when 1990 came and we saw with the Soviet Union and we saw that Pope John Paul II and Ronald Reagan, when they came together and that they working together brought down communism, then it was at that time that even the secular, even Barabbas was able to say, America has now become a superpower. But before 1990, there were many who were professing truth. They were saying, oh yes, this is truth indeed. But brothers and sisters, because of the fact that they kept looking at Russia and China and other places, they said, you know what? Maybe we were wrong. They got discouraged. And as a result of that, they turned their backs on the truths that was once delivered unto the saints. You see, in the book Evangelism, page 196, we are told that prophecy is the foundation of what makes the Seventh-day Adventist movement. Prophecy is the foundation of it. We're told that ministers are to teach this. And that as ministers are teaching this, they are to proclaim in connection with the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And here it is, brothers and sisters, that today there are many who say, you know what? You were saying that our Constitution was going to crumble, but that's impossible. But then when October 17th, 2006 came and when President Bush, he himself said, listen, this habeas corpus law, we're going to go ahead and we're just taking that off the map. That's not available anymore. Do you know what habeas corpus was? It was a law that was designed to give you and I the right that if we were unlawfully put in prison, that we can protest against it. But that right was taken away from us. People say, oh, there's no way that a Sunday law could ever happen. But then D.S. Domini came out in 1999 where the Pope himself made it very clear. He said, listen, I want to call America back, not simply to Sunday observance, but he said to legislate it. Then you had the car dealerships and all of these different organizations from 2007, 2008 and 2009, yay, 2010, where they're coming together saying, listen, because we don't get to spend time with our family members, because of the fact that we don't have that oneness in our community like we should, we need a law to help us get Sundays off. Now, brothers and sisters, if you want Sunday off to take care of your family, all you got to do is take Sunday off to take care of your family. Why do you have to go to law to do it? I asked Brother Ernest, I said, man, do we have PowerPoint here? He said, no, not in this environment. Brothers and sisters, if I had the opportunity, I would show you PowerPoint slide after slide after slide all the way up to 2010. All of the groups are coming together. Revelation 13, 14 is coming to pass that the America is putting the, hand, the power into the hands of the people saying that they should make an image to the beast. 
We are seeing it come to pass. And here it is that some individuals, because they were not holding on to the prophetic truths, because they did not know how to tarry and pray for those seven days. Many of them got discouraged and many of them have left the faith. Brothers and sisters, we have told in Great Controversy 445 that the leading churches in America are going to come together to form the image of the beast. And people were saying that's never going to happen. How in the world are you going to get Roman Catholics and you're going to get Southern Baptists and all these other large organizations to come together? But all you got to do is just go back to 2004 and 2006 where you had Christian churches together and you also had the Ten Commandments Day Commission. They all have come together. But what happened was there were many Seventh-day Adventists that did not have the patience of the saints while they were sitting in the ark. And unfortunately, they allowed time to go by and the persecution without the mocking, the scoffers, the one who said, your faith is ridiculous. You do not know what you're talking about. Look at this. You're saying it's going to happen, but it's not happening. Do you know how many Seventh-day Adventists were going around saying Bush is going to bring in the Sunday law? So many people say, oh, he's a dictator. He's this, that and the other. He's going to bring in the Sunday law. Well, Bush is not here anymore. And now we got Obama. And I believe Obama is in a greater position to pass a Sunday law than even Bush. Because Obama is the one that sooner fits Revelation 13 than Bush. You see, a lot of people, because they did not study prophecy right, they looked at Bush and they said, Bush is a dictator. Bush goes around telling everybody what to do, when to do, and how to do. Brothers and sisters, that alone should have shown you and I there's no way he could be the one to bring in a Sunday law. You know why? Look at Revelation 13. Go to Revelation, the 13th chapter. In Revelation, the 13th chapter, we're talking about persecution without. Individuals will try to attack our prophetic foundations, just like Satan did. He knew, Noah, you were prophesying about a flood, and now look at you. You're in the ark, and there is no flood. The sun is shining. And so it is that people are saying today, the sun is shining. And you're talking about a Sunday law. You are a fanatic. And because some people are more concerned about their image than they are being patient saints, There are many who will turn their backs on Jesus. And brothers and sisters, they have done this. This is why I know what I speak. There is a persecution that comes from without that is putting pressure on the minds of God's people. And as a result of that, many are losing their foundations and they're no longer persuaded. Bible says in Revelation, the 13th chapter, when you get there, let me know by saying amen. You see, in Revelation 13, the Bible made it clear. It's just that we missed it. It says in Revelation 13, notice what it says. It says in Revelation 13, verse 11. It says, and I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb and he spake as a dragon. Talking about America. Verse 12. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Now read verse 14 with me. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to who? Saying to them that who? Saying to them that dwell on the earth that what? That they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. How is the image of the beast going to come to pass? Is it going to come to pass from top down? No, it's not, because it just said it. It just said, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast. They're going to teach them. They're going to go to them. They're going to say, you guys need to do this, and if you tell us to do it, we'll do it. Now, Bush, as they say, was a dictator. He was one that could care less what the people thought. That's what many say. They say, oh, he couldn't care less. Brothers and sisters, that disqualifies him from fulfilling Revelation 13. 
Because the Bible shows it's not going to come from the man that's a dictator, but it's going to come from a man that says, I did not choose me. You chose me. It's going to come from a mindset that says the power rests with the people and what the people want, we will do. But because many did not faithfully study prophecy right, they allowed themselves to get shaken. And in 2009 alone, we lost many Seventh-day Adventists because they were convinced it's going to be Bush. And the scoffers came and said, now what do you say? You've been doing seminars. You've been doing meetings. You've been telling everybody that this is going to happen. And now it didn't happen and Bush is gone. And some people because of embarrassment, some people because of lack of faith, some people because of persecution, turn their backs on Jesus and his truth. We will be persecuted without. But it's not only going to come through prophecy. Satan knows he's not going to limit himself to that. Go to the book of Genesis chapter 3. There's another means that he will use as we get ready to bring out some final points. There's another means that he will use to try to get you and I to no longer be persuaded that Jesus is able to keep us. He will use prophecy on some individuals. He will come just like those men came to Noah and mock their very foundation of truth. But it goes on to say in Genesis 3, notice what the Bible says. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, this is causing many Seventh-day Adventists to turn from the truth and no longer be persuaded in Christ. It says in Genesis 3, verses 1 to 7, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, serpent we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden god has said ye shall not eat of it neither shall ye touch it lest ye die and the serpent said unto the woman you shall not surely die for god doth know that in the day you eat thereof then your eyes shall be open you shall be as gods knowing good and evil and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made unto themselves aprons. Another tactic, another device that Satan will use to try to unsettle the faith of the people of God is through the medium of experimentation. There will be situations where Satan is going to say, did God say this? And we're going to know intellectually, yes, he did. He's going to say, try it anyhow. He's going to say, I understand what God said, but maybe you didn't get it right. Tell you what, why don't you try it? And then whatever happens to you thereafter will determine if it was truth, what God said or not. It's kind of like the seven day Adventists. They've been told, listen, stay away from the movie theaters. The movie theaters has nothing to do with God. It has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. But you know what? Individuals say, yeah, I see what you're saying. But you know what? Let me just try it. They go in the environment. They watch the programs. They look at the filth and the defilements and they watch it. And do you know what happens? They leave the theater, they go back home, and they have a good night's rest. And they say, you know what? You don't know what you're talking about. Because I experimented, and nothing happened. There are individuals today, see, Satan, he's a subtle foe. He says, some, I'm going to get them on prophecy. Because some people are so stuck on different interpretations and positions of prophecy, that he says, I'm going to get some of them that way. But then others, Satan knows, I can't get them on prophecy, but I can get them with experimentation. I can get them to try something that God said, don't do it, but I'll get them to try it anyhow. I'll get them just to experiment. You see, we don't understand something. There are people today in the movement who have turned their backs upon the truth, yea, even present truth. 
They've gone back to precious, wish-washy, smooth truths. But brothers and sisters, let me show you something. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Notice what the Bible says. You see, there are individuals today. It could be movie theaters. It could be certain things with diet. There are certain people today that no matter how clear God makes his principles on health reform, we will violate it anyhow and experiment. God says, I don't want you to eat at certain hours. We say, let me experiment. God says, I don't want you to combine your food with your drinks. And we say, let me experiment. We go to the health reformers. We say, well, why shouldn't I do this? Well, you can get cancer. You can get toxicity in the system. You can have tumors and you can have this, that and the other. And they say, "Okay," but then they try it and they say, no tumors. (laughs) They say no cancer. They experimented. And through experimentation, they didn't understand that it was a process. It was a process of bringing them into a spirit of disbelief. They didn't even realize it. It was Satan's subtle attack. But we don't understand. The Bible says something in Ecclesiastes chapter eight. We got to get to the point that we walk with faith, brothers and sisters. We got to stop looking by sight. We got we can't wait for the evidence to say, all right, now something bad happened to me. So now I'll stop doing it. That's ridiculous. That's deadly. You don't want to think like that. In Ecclesiastes chapter eight, if you're there, say amen. Look at what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, the eighth chapter. Here's what the Bible says. Clear as day, brothers and sisters. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter eight. In verse 11, read it with me. It says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do what? To do evil. People experiment with sin. And when they experiment with sin, because they did not see a speedy judgment, They are fully set in their hearts to continue in that evil act. That's exactly what Solomon was saying. And there's a ton of seven day Adventists that are like that today. You see, volume five of the testimonies to the church, page 81, says the time is not far distant when the test will come to every soul. It says the mark of the beast will be urged upon us. And those who have hear this, brothers and sisters, and those who have step by step yielded to worldly demands and have conformed to worldly customs will not find it a hard matter to yield to the powers that be rather than suffer the dangers of imprisonment, persecution, exile, and death. The individuals who are going to receive the seal of God are those who today are step by step cooperating with God, preparing themselves for the seal. The individuals who are going to receive the mark of the beast, brothers and sisters, are those who today are step by step yielding to the voice of an enemy rather than the voice of God's spirit. And when God's spirit speaks to you and I and says this, what you're doing is wrong. And we say, you know what? Let me experiment. What you just did was you yielded to the voice of Satan and those who have step by step yielded. To these different things will ultimately receive the mark of the beast. God in love and mercy is saying to every single one of us, it is time that we wake up. It is time that we recognize his devices. He is always going to do that to us, brothers and sisters. He's going to come from without. He's going to say to us, oh, those things are not true. Do you know them? I heard people, man, I tell you, it's funny. I heard people that go around talking about today. You know what? This thing about physiology and health reform is not true. I listened to some doctor on Oprah. I'm telling you, this is what people are saying. I listen to some doctor. I said, listen, that doctor hasn't ascribed to the right books. 
That doctor's been ascribing to all those worldly books that teach worldly concepts and worldly principles of what constitutes worldly so-called health. But we go to the book, brothers and sisters, that was the very book that spoke of how you and I came into existence. That's the one that I want to go to to receive instruction on how to take care of this body, not some ignorant worldly doctor. The only doctors that I trust are the doctors that have submitted their minds to the doctor, the chief doctor, the great physician, Jesus Christ. I don't want any other doctor experimenting on my body. Brothers and sisters, we got to get ourselves to a point that we understand that Satan's method, some he's going to try to get. He's going to try to get some of us through prophecy. He's going to attack what we believe. And that's going to be one way he's going to unsettle us. There are evolutionists today. There are all sorts of individuals who are going around saying you seven day Adventists are preaching something that's not true. But then there will be others who will say, "Okay, fine. You say that you believe this. I'm not going to touch that. But I tell you what, why don't you just come to the club with me anyhow? Why don't you just go ahead and do this anyhow? There will be worldly associations, which leads me to the last one. Turn your Bibles to the book of First Corinthians. In First Corinthians, notice what the Bible says. First Corinthians chapter five. In First Corinthians chapter five. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. He led me right to it. First Corinthians chapter five. As we get ready to close, First Corinthians five. Notice what the Bible says. It says in First Corinthians chapter five, verses nine and ten. And if you're there, let me know by saying amen. It says, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to do what? Not to company with fornicators. But then he goes on. He says, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. God makes it clear that he says another means that the devil can use to take many of us down and has done it successfully is through association and relationships. That's another method that Satan uses. Satan says some I'm going to get them through prophecy. I'm going to get them through the teachings of the word of God. Some Satan says I'm going to get them through experimentation. But some Satan says I'm just going to bring a nice guy in her life. Some I'm going to bring a nice young lady in his life. Some I'm going to go ahead and allow them to go to the gym or wherever else they go. And they're going to begin developing certain friendships. And Satan says through association, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take them down and steal them away from Christ that they will no longer be persuaded. And so it is that God made it clear. He says, listen, I don't want my people. I don't want my people. Don't keep company with anyone who has made it clear that they don't want Jesus. The only reason why we should hang out with individuals like that is to give them Jesus. But today we have many individuals who keep hanging around associations. They ride in cars with them, so they play their worldly music. They hang out with them, by the way, and they listen to their worldly conversations. They go ahead and they might even court with them and become unequally yoked. And as a result of emotions and the deceptions of the very heart, they begin to turn their backs on God. And did you know that Jesus knew this? Go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, Jesus already knew this. And this is why he gave a very important point, not just to Israel of old, but he gave it to Israel today. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, the seventh chapter. And when you get there, let me know by saying amen. In Deuteronomy chapter seven, here's what the Bible says. It says in Deuteronomy seven, we're starting from verses one to four. God always understood this. It says in Deuteronomy seven, one to four, it says, when the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it. And hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hevites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. 
It says, And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make what? Marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. Read verse 4 with me. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve what? Other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. God always understood the danger of worldly, unconsecrated associations. It is a method that Satan has used over and over and over again. There are men today who married women that did not love God. She looked good and he thought that that was a qualifier. So therefore he goes ahead and gets married. But brothers and sisters, today there are many men who are suffering because now they love Jesus. But now they have to deal with a spouse that does not. And therefore, God's words are true that sometimes it's the spouse that will try to pull them away from following God. You begin to try to institute all sorts of godly principles in your home and the wife is always fighting against it. So it is that there are many women today. They married the man because she felt maybe she was getting to a point where she didn't know she'll find another. And then she goes ahead and she gets married to a man who does not serve God. And then as a result of that, now she's ready to follow Jesus. But all of a sudden, the brother says, "Uh, uh-uh, not in this house. And then as a result of that, there is not just simply a war that took place in heaven, but now there's a war in the homes of God's people today. Unequally yoked, married. God says, listen, I'm trying to warn you against these things. God says. Now, you know one thing I'm so happy about? God can take a marriage that was not ordained of heaven, and he can make it ordained of heaven. Isn't that wonderful? Listen, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, Jesus... He is our wonderful savior. I'm so grateful for him because he looks at the foolishness, the decisions that we make. And though he could have come together and as it were, take his heavenly belt and spank us. Instead, God comes along and he says, all right, you realize you made a mistake. Yes, Lord, I recognize it. I confess it. God says, now let me take that hell that's in your home. And if you and your wife submit to my will, I'll show you how to take hell and turn it into heaven. God says, I can do it. While man might not be able to see it, Jesus says, that's all right. That which is impossible with man is possible with God. But how much heartache is taking place in the hearts and minds of people today as a result of associations? How many young men have we seen that have lost their lives? Because though they were going to church, though they were following the principles of God, they compromised through their associations and they suffered the punishment that came to their associations because they were at the wrong place at the wrong time. We see it happen too often. You see, the devil, he's trying to steal away our experience. He's going to do it for some of us through the very word of God. He's going to challenge us. He's going to say the very words that you claim to believe, they're not even coming to pass. What if the economy picked up? You know, right now, there are many individuals who believe that the economy is going down, has gone down, and it won't come back up. And I believe it, too. I believe it because prophecy said it. But what if a smoke screen came up? What if Obama came up and said, listen, our economy's doing better. All of a sudden, you can get approved for a house again in the snap of a finger. All of a sudden, you could get a car and do whatever you got to do. All of a sudden, loans are coming just by you thinking about it. (laughs) Do you know there are many today that if that took place, do you know there are many who would begin to say, maybe this whole urgency Sunday, maybe this thing was a hoax. You know what? Let me just study about Jesus. Hello. Hello. I'm trying to tell you, brothers and sisters, there can be smoke screens that can come up. 
God allowed Noah to be tested just seven days before the real thing came. God can allow us to be tested for a period of time before the real thing hits. And we cannot allow ourselves to lose our focus just because Barabbas begins to challenge our beliefs. We have to stay firm. The devil says, okay, fine, if you don't get shaken on that, he says, I'll come to you with experimentation. Go ahead and touch the unclean thing. He says, don't worry about it. Nothing will happen to you. Just go ahead and touch it. And he'll get some of us to experiment. And if that does not work, Satan says, fine, I'll raise up one of my servants and I'll send them to you that you can become an associate with him. The devil, his desire is to keep you from being persuaded. And one of the means that he persecutes us as God's people is from without. Those who don't believe, those who do not accept our message, those who do not believe in the Bible or the God of the Bible. And he will use them through the form of organizations. He will use them through science. He will use them through various points of health. He will use them even through some of our associates, through friends or even family members. But you got to make sure that you're not moved. You got to be able to see his devices. You got to understand how he works. And you got to cling to the cross of Christ and say, Lord, please keep me near the cross. Keep me, Lord, that I will not turn my back on you like many others have done in times past. And you know what's so sad? You want to know why I'm really giving the sense of urgency? You know, some of you are probably sitting here saying, Brother Lemon, we already know these things. Why are you pointing these things out? You know why? Because Jesus said in Great Controversy 608, he said, as the storm approaches, a large class. What kind of class? A large class of those who have professed faith in the third angel's message, but who were not sanctified by obedience to the truth, will, it did not say might, it did not say maybe, it didn't even say more than likely, it says will abandon their position. Join ranks with the opposition and become the most bitterest enemies of their former brethren. End quote. Jesus already saw there's going to be a great exodus of Seventh-day Adventists that are going to leave this truth. And it's going to be because of one of these threefold forms of persecution. We're just dealing with persecution number one. This morning is persecution without. There will be many who will leave us. As a result of this, tonight, I'm going to show you how even more will leave because of persecution within. And then tomorrow, you'll understand Satan's greatest attack, persecution deep within. And so God simply wants to warn us by saying, understand that it'll come from without. Don't allow yourself to be shaken. You know, as I close with this story, I want you to think about this. It was in the 1800s. That men and women came together and they studied the prophecies of Daniel 8.14. They started to study Daniel 8.14. They said, okay, well, there's obviously a judgment that's coming. And they believed it was going to come. And therefore, as I told you last night, they began to rejoice. And they said, all right, it's coming, it's coming. And then 1844 came and Jesus did not come. Inspiration says that something very powerful took place. It says this, and I want to read it to you as we close. It says in Great Controversy 393, 
It says, the waiting ones rejoiced, believing that he who knows the end from the beginning had looked down through the ages and foreseeing their disappointment had given them words of courage and hope. Had it not been for such portions of scripture, such portions of what? In other words, what these individuals did is they started to go to the book of Ezekiel. They started going to the book of Habakkuk. They started to study out the prophecies and they understood that there was going to be a tarrying time. They began to see, wait a minute, we were wrong. There was supposed to be a tarrying time before Christ would come. And as a result of studying the scriptures, they went from disappointment to hope. The same way for many of us, brothers and sisters. The very thing that is designed to encourage us, we must stay close to it, which is the words of God. It can take you from disappointment to hope. This is why Jesus said with Satan, this is man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The word of God applied in the life that's designed to keep you persuaded. And so it is that it says in closing. The waiting ones rejoiced, believing that he who knows the end from the beginning had looked down through the ages and foreseeing their disappointment had given them words of courage and hope. Had it not been for such portions of scripture, admonishing them to wait with patience and to hold fast their confidence in God's word, their faith would have failed in that trying hour. You see, the bottom line is the word of God can deliver you. From those times and those seasons when it seems like prophecy is not being fulfilled as we thought. God's word says, though it tarry, wait for it. The word of God can succeed and take place in our lives in such a way that when we're tempted to experiment, God will say, touch not the unclean thing. When we are tempted to go ahead and associate with those who know not God nor desire to do anything with God, Psalms 1-1 will come to mind. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. God's word. God's word, not just understood, but applied. As it gave our great pioneers strength, it'll give you strength. It'll give you strength. We are being attacked. The enemy is all around us, brothers and sisters. Like never before, we have to stand, though the heavens may fall. And if it's your desire to say, Lord, I want to do as the pioneers did. I want to do as the patriarchs did. I want to do as the prophets did. In fact, Jesus, you know what? I want to, know, I want to do what you did. You defeated the enemy in all of his attacks with the word of God. Lord, I want to have the same experience. If today you realize that you might have been. Now, I want you to think about this. Do you know some of us right here right now? Some of us might have been in the hands of the devil and we didn't even realize it. You know why? Because there's some of us who are losing faith in the word. There's some of us who are losing faith in the prophecies. There are some of us who are losing faith in our message. Do you know people had the nerve to criti critique and ridicule the general conference president? Because he said we can't go back, we have to go forward. Because he called us back into the straight line of present truth. Do you know that there are Seventh-day Adventists who said he's trying to take us back 50 years and we don't want to go? <coughs> They're already falling into the web of Satan. Could it be that there are some here today who said, Lord, I'll be honest with you. I was in the church, but I wasn't in the message. 
I didn't really believe these prophetic utterings that you've been giving. I just kind of said, well, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. As long as I got Jesus. Do you know there's people like that? Huh? Do you know there's people like that in the church? We've been listening to all these different individuals. We've been paying attention to the news. Some of us will even turn our radios on on Sunday morning and hear a preacher from Babylon before we'll hear the principles of truth on God's Sabbath day. And we've been listening to it so long that our minds have been affected. And we don't believe what we believe anymore. There's some of us, we've been experimenting. You know what's right, but you keep experimenting. Let me try it anyhow. Because you haven't seen anything bad happen to you, you try it again and again and again. And then there's some of us today, maybe you're dating, courting someone that you have no business in your life because they have no positive effect on you. They're not helping you draw closer to Jesus. They're pulling you away. And that may not be dating according. That might be some girlfriend or some boyfriend, some friend. Whether it's through the word, whether it's through experimentation or whether it's through association, one way or the other, the devil does not care as long as he gets us. How many of us are today saying, Lord, I recognize that I was in the web of Satan and I didn't even realize it. But by your grace today, I want to be made free the same way that Jesus was able to stay free. I want to be made free as well. If that's your desire, you recognize you were in the web somewhere along the lines, whether it's through experimentation, whether it's through association or whether it's through the very attack, the direct attacks upon the truths that God has given to the saints. And you're saying, by the grace of God today, I want to be made free from that web. I'm inviting you to stand. You're being honest with yourself. You're being honest with yourself. Lord, I was in that web. But by the grace of God, I'm going to be made free today. All heaven rejoices, brothers and sisters, when you make the Don't ever take these decisions for granted. Don't ever take it for granted. Don't feel like, oh, this is just another appeal that I'm standing up for. No, it's a decision that's real. That's between you and God. Personal. And you're saying, Lord, by your grace, I will follow thee. And because that's your desire, let us seal it with prayer. Father in heaven, we are grateful. You've made your words plain to us today. We recognize that there have been persecutions without. Whether it was through the form of those who have attacked our very foundations as a movement. Father, whether it was through experimenting and trying and playing even with sin. Or Lord God, if it's through associations, those who we know are in our lives that don't belong there because they're nothing but a negative influence. Lord, we're praying that not only the grace you gave to us to stand and make this public declaration, but help us to follow through with it by making the necessary changes in our lives. Instruct us and guide us through your word. This is how Jesus had success. This is how the pioneers had success. This is how the patriarchs and the prophets had success. This is how we will have success. Help us, Lord, to be faithful unto death, knowing that it is only then that we shall receive our crown of life. Abide with us now as we go throughout the remainder of this blessed Sabbath day, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This message is produced by PTH Ministries. Our mission is to spread the three angels' messages through preaching and teaching the Seventh-day Adventist message and to integrate healing through medical missionary work in declaring the gospel. 
For more information on our ministry and the resources we provide, please log on to our website at www.pthministries.com. That's www.pthministries.com. Or you can call us at 770-274-9537. That's 770-274-9537. May we do our part to meet the needs of humanity through the everlasting gospel and hasten Christ's return. Maranatha.